We're very good, Juliet, knowing what we don't want to do and what we don't like, right? So I think we have to flip that completely on its head now. We have this moment to actually reflect, pause, reset, because actually many of us have been forced to. That's actually almost like a second chance. What is it that we love to do? What is it we're passionate about? And move from there. And I think that's each of us leading from our own front line. It's each of us leading from our absolute skill and talent that we've been born with and finding a way to use it. Hello, this is Julie Masters and you are listening to The Next Right Thing, a mini-series from the Inside Influence team designed to provide some actionable certainty in uncertain times. Specifically, and the situation we're all in at the moment, the COVID-19 pandemic and subsequent lockdown. Now, the idea behind these series is to go out to some of the guests that have been our most popular in previous episodes and ask them one question. What are the most important things you're focusing on right now or advising your clients to focus on? Tools, ideas, strategies that you know for sure work in uncertain times. The intention being that somewhere in there, you might find from these incredible minds the inspiration that you need for your next right thing. A point of certainty amidst all the uncertainty. In this episode, I speak with Linda Cruz frontline humanitarian, leadership expert and author of Leading on the Frontline, remarkable stories and essential leadership lessons from the world's danger zones. Now, I am a huge fan of Linda. In fact, the entire production team of Inside Influence is a massive fan of Linda's. She's become a personal friend since our initial interview and she was one of the very first people I hunted down for this particular series. She has, let's go through her bio, she has worked alongside some of the world's most influential figures, including um, H.H. the Dalai Lama, Sir Richard Branson, H.R.H. the Prince of Wales, and companies, foundations, universities, GSK, Virgin Unite, Cadbury's, KPMG, the World Bank, the list goes on. Her main message is this, when crisis comes and we find ourselves on the front line in whatever form, we need to stop focusing on being charitable and start focusing on being capable. Such a vital shift, and we'll get into that more in the conversation. In this conversation, we dive into leading from the front line. What she's learnt works when all the traditional structures and hierarchies fall away. The concept of charitable versus capable, and why there are 7.7 billion heroes currently on this planet right now. A little bit of a clue, there are 7.7 billion people on this planet right now. And how recovery actually works. Not the sanitized plan on a spreadsheet kind, but the messy making it up, next right thing at a time when the ground is constantly shifting beneath us kind. What is the recovery zone? And how do you know when and how to move forward? What I want you to reflect on here is that in crisis and uncertainty, those that emerge as the leaders, both as individuals and brands, are often not who you would expect them to be. And as frequently as it's the top dog, it's someone you may never have noticed before. Someone who decides for whatever reason that now is the time to stand up and contribute the best that they have to give with all the certainty that they can bring. Essentially, it's those that make the decisions to focus more on capability than catastrophe. 
If you want to dig even further into Linda's knowledge and background, you can hunt down our previous conversation, which is episode number 22, according to my notes. You'll also hear her talk in this particular conversation about Race for Good, which is an online platform. I think it will be an app that she's currently developing to allow capable people around the globe to collaborate on solving some of the world's greatest issues. At the time of publishing, it's not yet finished, but please keep an eye out in the coming weeks. I believe it is not not long away, the launch. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again, the audio is not perfect on these episodes. Um, we have problems with Wi-Fi, um, cutting in and out. We do our absolute best to make it listenable and clean it up. But the intent for this, rather than professional production is that we just get ideas out there. We show up at a time where we feel like this information is important. So hopefully you can forgive us the errors and just look for what your next thing might be in the information that's included. So other than staying well and looking after each other, I just want you to sit back, whatever your life in lockdown looks like, and see if you can find in our conversation some of the fuel that you might need for your next right thing. Welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast, Linda Cruz. Great to be here. Thank you. I'm just, I'm so thrilled to be talking to you right now. I've thought about you so much since, since all of the COVID-19 um, stuff situation started happening. Let's talk about leading from the front line. You know, you've, you have been on the front line, as I've said, of so many humanitarian disasters over the years. What have you learned? Because there's a lot of CEOs out there, a lot of company owners, a lot of families, as we've said, that feel like they're really leading at the front line right now. What I believe it calls for, Julie, is for us all to step up, right? And I believe that we have on this planet right now 7.7 billion heroes, right? We can all individually stand up and be that person who is capable to actually make a difference and to to realize that this is our opportunity to exactly as you're saying the next right thing the next best thing we can do we have to we know the world has had a reset right i can see this big red button and we've pressed it and it's like right now we have to now go back to the ground floor of this next stage of humanity and it's for each of us to step up now, I know that many people listening to this podcast have lost their jobs or that the, the next thing for them is incredibly uncertain, completely uncertain. And I think especially for um, youth and adults now, we have to think, we have to go back to basics. And when I've, when I've seen this in my communities on the front line, when people have lost everything, they go back to Okay, so what do I absolutely love to do? Who am I? What is something that I, what do I wish that I could achieve? We're very good, Juliet, knowing what we don't want to do and what we don't like, right? So I think we have to flip that completely on its head now. We have this moment to actually reflect, pause, reset, because actually many of us have been forced to, and actually now look at, Okay, so we have the opportunity. Think of it as something that's 
that's actually almost like a second chance. What is it that we love to do? What is it we're passionate about? And move from there. And I think that's each of us leading from our own front line. It's each of us leading from our absolute skill and talent that we've been born with and finding a way to use it. Yeah, I loved what you just said then around that out of disasters, usually those that, those that emerge as the leaders are just ordinary people. You know, when the, when the infrastructure is gone or in question, when the rules are out of the window and when, you know, most people are scratching their heads, it tends to be the ordinary human being that emerges as, as the natural leader or the natural born leader who might not have considered themselves a leader prior to this moment. Why is that? Like, have you, have, do you have any thoughts as to why that is and, and how we can start to recognize that more in ourselves? I believe that over the years, the way that society has been structured, we've all become slightly programmed. Okay, we believe that this is what our role is in society, that we get a job, a mortgage. Uh, We we sort of we've set ourselves up into a pattern. And I believe that there's certain people that are emerging now that realize that actually there's a different way to think there. It is all about the power of one. And this is where I believe that our really our new guides, gurus, inspirational people will appear. In the UK currently, we one of our biggest inspirational people leading us forward is a 99-year-old veteran soldier, right? What has he done? He's decided that before he's 100, he's going to walk up and down his garden 100 times before he's 100. He has raised £25 million pounds for the what? NHS. Okay, just stop. What? I have not heard this story. <laughs> 25 million pounds over the past few weeks yeah all he's and he decided that he's 99 but he has the power of one right and although he's on a zimmer and he's walking slowly he said no i will show that even though i'm old i'm going to make a difference i'm going to show people what i can do i will step up to the plate and be that one of the 7.7 billion heroes if he can do it julie we all could do it, right? However old we are. What have you learned? Or probably what's the biggest thing that you've learned about leading teams in crisis, like leading teams in a frontline situation where, as we've said, the rules are out of the window, the structures are out of the window, roles and hierarchy out of the window. What What's important in keeping a team together and mobilizing them so that they can become useful quickly? It's very much allowing everyone to uh, show their own strengths because that this is the great thing, so empowering for the whole team. But I think often when we're going through the normal day-to-day life in our teams, we sort of, again, we sit in our own boxes and we wear little hats with a label on it. That, But actually we're far more than that. So I believe it's allowing your team members to actually just hold the space for them, appreciate them, say that we're all in this together. Let's bring the ideas to the table. Let's listen to each other and allow that natural leadership to happen and take everything in small chunks, in manageable little chunks, rather than looking at a big picture. I don't think any of us need to look at big picture at the moment. We need to take tiny steps and to support each other emotionally. But I think this creativity and innovation within us is is sort of like a is hungry to leap out and actually 
shine. And I think as leading on the front line is all about that, is actually leading from the back. Actually, what we're doing is stepping back so that the others in our teams can really share and shine what they know. Yeah. Now, you said before we jumped on this call that probably the question you're getting asked the most at the moment from, you know, all over the world is how recovery works. Like specifically, because we've never, you know, we're still in it right now. There's going to come a point of recovery. What's the what's the sp- sweet spot? What have you learnt about recovery and stepping from destruction into recovery and gaining some momentum on the other side? Yeah, and it's and it this because this has been my speciality. Literally, I spend after a disaster. I'm usually in the country for at least two and a half years to help with the recovery. And it's interesting because. There is a sweet spot. So at the moment, we can tell that there's this incredible surge of um, of really ensuring. It's like I call it, we are in the emergency phase, like as we are on the front line after a disaster where, you know, all the bells and whistles are out, all the funding is there, all the help is there. And then as we start to emerge, and also all our incredible sort of altruistic feelings are with us at the moment. And as we start to emerge and we are hungry for change, we are hungry for the freedom and choice and to be and to take action. There's a sweet spot that we have to recognize that it's not there forever. It's this is the moment. And it it, it varies from one disaster to the other to another for me. But it's a good six to 12 months where if we can set up structures now to actually have structure in place to harness people's kindness, innovation, purposefulness, passion. This is how you can actually set the foundation for sustainable, long-lasting upgrade change. But if you snooze, you lose. You really do. There is about a year for us to really set these stru- get these structures in place. And you're right, I'm being asked by many companies, organizations, government, um, how, how this happens. And there's various models that I've used and because I've had to, right? Because actually, as human beings, we have, and increasingly so, we have the attention span that gets less and less. So we need to make these structures easy fun, uh, online, virtual now, because we're all going to be used to that. So it is ensuring that people feel good when they engage with this structure, that they feel useful, feel valued, feel they're making a difference, feel they're being of service as an individual. Can you give me an example of of a really effective structure, either in a situation that you've been in or one that you've used that you know works? Well, yeah, I mean, over the last sort of five years now, I've developed something called Race for Good. And I've used it in person when people come to the front line with me. But really, over the last five years, I've developed it more virtually because, and I've actually, because... The way I've had to innovate to be able to engage people. So I have done a lot of work online already. So, for example, I work a lot with businesses in first world countries, whether it's the US, Australia, Japan, the UK, 
And I put it as part, Julie, of a leadership course because I have major recovery situations that I need help with in some of the worst places on earth. And I need people's intelligence, innovation and creativity to help me. So in the middle of a very solid, powerful leadership course that I've run for my insights on the front line, it's called Leading on the Front Line, I put a race for good in the middle and it's a competition and it's fun and it's fast and they have a very small budget. And I will give, say, four teams the same problem and they have anything between 90 minutes and sometimes as long as three months to solve this problem. And they give me a business plan of the problem that I've given to them and they show how this very small budget will be spent. They, the, the winners, then the, the prizes that gets implemented, often they go to the place, meet the people they've helped, meet the community they've helped. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's all completely virtual. Sometimes it's local within their country. Sometimes it's right in a different country. And I tell you what, the success of it just gets greater and greater. The demand gets greater. Because as we know, Julie, even without the virus, contribution is the greatest human need. We feel good when we're of service. We, we get energized when we know we're giving back to people. It is the ultimate for any human being anywhere on earth. So I know why, but I've had to develop models where I can still engage busy people with busy family lives, with busy work lives. Um, and it works. Yeah. Now there's something very profound in there from a from a leadership perspective, from a CEO, from a team leader, as to how to engage teams right now remotely. You know, the, the gamification of problem solving, the small wins, um, setting up online contribution-based portals where people can jump in regardless of, you know, whether it's after the kids have gone to bed or, yeah. you know, before everybody gets up for the day rather than waiting yeah. for the Zoom call at 11 a.m., there's there's so much in that as to how you solve problems stepping it by stepping outside of the structure of how problems are usually solved. Yeah. And how you engage the talents and the passion of of all the people that you have access to. Now, I'm going to I'm going to keep moving because I I really want to I have a question that I really want to ask you and that's what's your what's your next right thing right now? It's ensuring that my next, what the, the structures that I have started, and there'll be tweaks and changes to them, but to enable those 7.7 .7 billion heroes on earth to easily engage with their own communities locally and globally and be the change they want to see in the world. And this, this is what I will be, which is I'm working on right now as I'm sat here with my gorgeous parents uh, in Bristol is enabling that this structure is going to be ready to, to go. We can press that green button so that anyone who's out there who feels moved enough to start being capable and helping their own communities, whilst helping themselves, of course, finding their passion and their purpose. This is what I'm doing. I'm actually setting up this structure right now. Yeah. Is that the, that's the race for good? It is, yeah. So yeah. the the appified version of of the race figure, which will enable people to to jump in and use their capabilities to solve problems either locally or or across the globe. Absolutely, and and leave their legacy. 
be the hero, show their children how easy it is to be part of every part of our world, environment, animals, humans, just to be part of the solution of making our world the best place it possibly can be for the next generation. How amazing is that, Julie? (laughs) It is amazing. And you are amazing. And it is always such a gift to have you at the other end of my microphone. Well, it always, honestly, Julie, like we say, we've had quite a lovely journey together from many, many years ago when we met. And uh, it's a privilege to talk to you and a privilege to be part of your podcast series, which I adore. So I'm one of your greatest fans. (laughs) I will take that because I'm not everybody's. (laughs) I don't have a lot of fans in this house right now due to lockdown. So I will take it. Thank you, honey. Good. Good.